0: Father God, I, uh, I just welcome you here, Lord. I welcome your spirit here. I ask that you would calm my spirit, Lord. Uh, you know that um, there hasn't been a lot of rest this week, Lord, but I know that you can do much with little, Lord, that you can uh, make what is weak strong, Lord, and so I ask now that you would come and just uh, speak through me, Lord, and I pray that you would do your work here this morning, Lord, that we might be awakened uh, to your kingdom here, to your purposes here that you have for us. I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at um, Matthew 22, the first uh, 14 verses, and it's entitled the parable of the wedding feast. Um, Parables, uh, the original language for a parable is called a mashal, and a parable is basically a story that conveys a deep spiritual truth, um, but it also in a way masks it okay it It reveals a deep spiritual truth in a way that that um, uh, is secretive you know um, and that one of the the most powerful things about parables is they have a way of confronting something that 's wrong inside of a person and we look at if you look at parables. It doesn't just have to, Jesus is not the only one who used parables. If you look at the Old Testament and some of the prophets, they used this this form of parables. And the one that came to mind this week uh, was Nathan. You know, what, what happens when he goes to King David after, uh, here's this man, King David, who is a man after God's own heart, but he had committed these horrible things, right? He had committed adultery, and then he had murdered, had the man murdered uh, the Bathsheba's husband who is actually a man who is serving him faithfully and so Nathan comes to David and what does he tell him? he doesn't tell him hey, you know you're a sinner you need to repent like he tells him a story he tells him a parable because in that he strikes a chord inside of David's heart because he's revealing to him something so grave, such a grave sin that, that he's committed, that he can't directly approach the king in that way. But by telling him this story, he strikes a chord in his heart. And Jesus used parables in such a way, there's, there's 24 accounts of parables. Those are just accounts, what we have written in the Gospels. Okay, So I'm sure he used them more and more. And so the question came up for me, why parables? Why, why does he use parables? And there, actually, before we go through that, um, parables actually began at the point when the Jewish people had finally kind of rejected Jesus. And we see that in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 12 or 11, I believe it is, in the first slide, uh, if you could put that up. Um, Jesus had come on the scene and had done a powerful miracle for a man. He had cast out a demon out of a man. And the religious leaders, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they said, oh, he does this by the power of Beelzebub. So in other words, they're, they're telling the Son of God that he is doing a work by the power of Satan. And there's only one sin that's unforgivable that's mentioned in the Bible. Only one. That should be a great comfort to us. That means that no matter what you've done in your life, there can be forgiveness for you. But what he says here is, now they've, they've rejected him at this point. After all the signs and miracles, the Jewish people are rejecting him. The leaders are rejecting him. Can you imagine the grief that he's feeling? Much like the father, the foster father, who has this kid he's trying to love, who's yelling at him in the middle of the street how much he hates him. They've rejected Jesus. And Jesus says this very thing that that he who speaks against the Holy Spirit, who blasphemes the work of the Holy Spirit, that's an unforgivable sin. Do you realize that God wants to do miracles? that Jesus did miracles, that He said in His Word that we would do greater things than these. But let me tell you something, if you begin to label His miracles as works of Satan, He leaves. The Holy Spirit leaves, He exits. And so here Jesus is, He's crushed the very people that He's come, the chosen people that He's come, They've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And he begins telling these parables, these stories. The first one he tells, he goes out in front of the multitude. He's shifted his focus from the Jewish people to the multitudes. And he gets on board the boat and he starts telling the parable of the sower about spreading seed. And he begins to spread the gospel out to everyone. And that's where he first starts using the parables. See, the parables were a response to Jewish rejection of him as the Messiah. And the disciples come to him afterwards and say, Why? Why are you speaking in these parables? Why are you changing? What is this? And in Matthew 13, verses 10 through 11, we have the answer. You know what I love about the Bible? It answers itself. And part of, the, part of the problem that we have is when these questions come, we start looking elsewhere for the answers, really. And really, the answers are always found in the Word of God. Matthew 13, it says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. To you and to me, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to those outside, those in darkness, they do not know. And you know what? Sometimes we try to beat them over the head with a Bible. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit wants to speak through you to them. And it, it may not be a Bible verse. It may be a story. It may be something that you've gone through that you can share with them, a testimony. I found that there's a common theme in these parables, and it is that God can do much with little. If you look at all the 24 different parables, you can find this common thread through there God can do much with little. And so the question comes, how much of the little of your life are you going to hand over to God so that he can do great things? And that's the question that I'm confronted with. How many of you guys have had people speak lies over you? Show of hands. I think probably everyone has. And we've suffered through those things. I had someone very close to me tell me, you know, you're, he- you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And you know what? That lie got broken off of me this week because I was listening to a Calvary pastor as I was driving into town and I turned on the radio right at the time and he said, you know, I want to I speak out against the lie that some of you have been believing. And he said, the truth is, is that you are no earthly good until you are heavenly minded. And I am beginning to witness that in my life. The truth is is that the more heavenly minded that you become, God begins to use you for his purposes on this earth. And you become very effective for his kingdom. You become an instrument for his kingdom. It has been given to us to know the secrets of the kingdom. How great is that? I'm trying to wrap my head around the fact that we are in a kingdom Do you guys spend time thinking about that? I know there's a lot of stuff going on in your lives. I know that you're busy. I know that there's trials and things. But do you spend time thinking that you worship the king of the universe and he sits on a throne? That was a very long introduction. I'm sorry. So let's turn and read uh, the parable of the wedding feast. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. And he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the highways and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all that they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garments. And he said to them, Friend, how do you get... In here without a wedding garment, and he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Um, before we get into dissecting this, God has a timing for everything. It's called Kairos, God's timing. And what I've witnessed throughout my time here at Calvary is is God's perfect timing in things with Pastor Ron. It's been incredible. I see God just aligning things. I didn't even know that, that he was going to be going through all eyes on Israel until last week when the slide got put up on the screen. And this passage is very dear to me because I think it was a year and a half ago or more I was praying about going on a missions trip to the Philippines. And I decided, I felt like God was opening all these doors for me to go to the Philippines. But I decided to set aside three days and to pray and fast and really find out if this was God's will for me. And what happened was on the third night, I had this dream that the Lord gave me. And in the dream, I'm standing in a procession of men in white, brilliant white clothes, most of them older than myself. And I begin trying to talk to them, but their attention is all focused at the end of this field where they're waiting for something, and no one will talk to me. All of a sudden, I look down, and I realize I'm wearing regular clothes, and I woke up out of that dream kind of afraid, and the Lord took me to this passage, and I, I believe really what this passage is about is about the invitation to come and receive His righteousness. Righteousness beginning with the nation of Israel and then extending beyond to each and every person who is willing to come and receive his righteousness. There's four characters in the parable itself. There's the king, the son of the king, the servants of the king, and then this one man who didn't have the wedding garment on. And it says that the king prepared a a feast for his son. Do you know that there is a feast to come? There is one that we will have again when he comes again. But there is a feast for you right now. There is a feast that you can have with the Lord right now spiritually. David, King David knew very well about this. In Psalm 23 verse 5 he declares, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Do you know that it is at the time that you are going through a trial that you can go to the Lord and receive wisdom, understanding, counsel, love, all these things, peace? That is what David understood. That is what many men and women of God have understood throughout the ages. And so there's this beautiful feast that we can have today and then there's a beautiful feast to come when we'll all be together having that feast with the Lord. It is by Jesus' blood that was shed for us at Calvary that we can purchase, or we have, not purchased, we have attained His righteousness through faith, by grace. No one's getting in to the kingdom by their good works. I just want, I really want to put that out there, like, If there's anybody who's really spinning their wheels, trying to do good works to be acceptable to the Lord, stop. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. His righteousness is perfect. And it's made perfect when you receive it. And you begin the process of sanctification as you walk with the Lord. So he has the feast prepared, the cross was basically the provision, okay, to atone for your sins and my sins. And then he sends, he sends out his servants. It talks about the servants. There was, there's been many servants of God, right? In the Old Testament, we read about the mighty prophets, okay? In the New Testament, we have a prophet by the name of John the Baptist. And he came and he was completely wild, I don't care what you say. I mean, this guy had long hair. He was out in the wilderness preaching completely opposite to what the people in the temple were saying. One message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what did they do? They rejected him. The religious leaders rejected him. Not only did they reject him, they found a way to imprison him and cut his head off. Okay, so you have one servant in John the Baptist. You have Jesus who comes. He brings the kingdom of heaven and manifests it on earth in the most powerful way that we've ever seen before. And then they they crucify him. Not only that, on the day of Pentecost, they receive the Holy Spirit in that room and they begin to preach powerfully to the Jewish people about the fact that Jesus was the Messiah whom they crucified, whom they rejected. Again, begging them to come, to repent, to receive him. And he says, see, I have prepared my dinner. You know, you don't have to bring anything. How many of you guys like going to potlucks? I don't like going to potlucks. You want to know why? Because you get in the conflict of, do I bring chips? Do I bring salsa? Do I bring this? Do I bring that? You know, are there going to be 30 bags of chips if everybody shows up with chips? God has made provision for everything. You don't have to bring anything. It's yourself. He wants you. He wants you. He sent his son to atone for what we can't atone for. He replaces emptiness with fullness. He replaces wretchedness with holiness. And this is what he offered to the Jewish people, to his people. And in verse 5, it says, but they paid him no attention. They paid him no attention. How do you see a man cast out a demon? How do you see a man provide for 5,000 people food? How do you see a man open blinds eyes and pay him no attention? That is a hardness of heart. That is a a coldness that is found in religion. And it's, it's the greatest deception of the enemy to get people stuck in religion. Not only did they not pay him any attention, but it says they went to, one went to his farm and one went to his business. You know what my biggest struggle right now is? I know I've been called and I'm struggling with walking away from carpentry or a business. How sad is that? I just want to be honest with you guys. It's, I know the struggles are real. We all have things in our life. We have occupations, right? But how do you see the work of God and then turn around and go back to your normal everyday life? And that's what they did. And it's what many of us do. You know, we can sit up here and go, oh yeah, those Jewish people really didn't get it, did they? But how much are you invested into the kingdom of God? How much time do you spend with the Lord? Is it a 10-minute activity in the morning? Is it five minutes of reading your Bible? I'm not talking about religion. It's a relationship. I'm learning, and and I I think we all need to learn. You can fellowship with the Lord in your spirit wherever you are. And that's when the light of God begins to shine out of you. In verse 6 it says, They seized his servants and treated them shamefully and then killed them. Look at the accounts of all of the apostles. All of them spoke boldly for the kingdom of God and most of them received brutal deaths. But they did it with joy. See, there's an understanding that comes when you understand that no weapon formed against you shall prosper that transcends everything. And that's what these men understood. They had, a, they had an encounter. They had many encounters with Jesus and they understood, they knew without a shadow of doubt that He was the Son of God and that His kingdom was more real than this earthly kingdom that they were walking in. And they were willing to give everything for it. And what What did the disciples do? Did they set up programs? Did they set up you know, fellowship times? Yeah, they did. But majority of what they did was they preached the gospel boldly wherever they went. They shared the gospel with whoever would listen. And it says that thousands were added to their numbers. And it talks about God's wrath for a little bit in, in verse 7 talks about the outcome of his wrath. And I love Jesus because, you know, even in Revelation it says uh, the, the spirit of Jesus is also the spirit of prophecy. Okay, When you look at the words of Jesus, he was always prophesying. They just didn't understand it. I mean, look at what he says in verse 7. Uh, it says the king was very angry and he sent out uh, those to burn the city In 70 A.D., this is exactly what happened. Rome came in and burned, set fire to the city. Okay? God will use anyone. I'm more and more aware of that. He used an evil group of people to speak to his his people. And so that happens. That was a moment in history where through this one verse we understand that God was... Jesus was giving them what would come to pass in the future. And then there's a a beautiful transition in verse 8. He said, then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Are any of us worthy? Yes and no. Yes and no. Let me tell you something. Our righteousness is like filthy rags, but the love of God makes you worth something. You are very dear to the Lord. So you, you have worth as a child of God. Their unworthiness was found, and they simply didn't respond to his love. You are worthy when you respond to that love. And I mean value. God has value, sees value in you. He looks at you, and he sees value in you. Because he sees not who you are, but what you have the potential to become as a son and a daughter of his. And he gives them the commission, verse 9. Go out and gather those in the highways and the byways. This is the, just a different wording, but this is the great commission. Go out and invite anyone. And he says both good and bad. You know, I used to always say the thing, God didn't come to save the righteous, he came to save the sinner. But it says that he sent him out, And they gathered both good and bad. You know, there are people who are very well to do, who have a moral life aside from Christ. They need Jesus just as much as the crack addict on the corner needs Jesus. And so he said, Bring everyone in. Don't look at people with your eyes, your fleshly eyes. Don't judge. Okay, because the wealthy person needs Jesus just as much as the poor person needs Jesus. And then we see this man, who's the man of my dream, right? Was me. scary. And it says the king came in to look at the guests. So it'd be like if, if... If Jesus came in now and he just looked at you. And he can tell if you are in his righteousness, if you've received him. No one else can, but he can. And he approaches him and he says, friend. He calls him a friend. Isn't that kind of weird? You see, there's a compassion that we don't yet understand. That doesn't remove the fact that there is a heaven and a hell and they're very real places. Spurgeon once said, someone may get to hell, but they're going to go over my dead body to get there. That kind of compassion is what we need to have. Because there is a very real... I've heard testimony of people who have died and gone to heaven. I've heard testimony of people who have died and gone to hell. And these are from people that I know and trust. There is a reality. There are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of Jesus. And there are people who are heading towards hell. And that's the reality, is when the king comes in, he sees him... And and he says, friend, how did you get in here without putting on Jesus? I made the provision for you. At this time, these people, and and you have to look at this in context, um, when they had a feast or a wedding, oftentimes uh, the father of of the bride would, would provide the garments. You know, it wasn't something that you had to go out, to Ross or to wherever you went, Macy's, and buy a nice outfit. It was provided for you. All this guy had to do was receive the gift. And that's the same with with me and you. We just have to receive the gift. The love of God is a gift. And I know many people have had lies spoken over them. Like the one that was spoken over me. And you need to hear... That God loves you and wants fellowship with you. And that there's nothing or anything that you've done in your life or that's been done to you that, that separates you from coming into his kingdom. You know, when I looked at that little kid, I saw that, that just distraughtness in his eyes. He's 12 years old. You know how many lies have probably already been spoken over him? But God can change that in a heartbeat. When that time comes for that young man where Father God reaches down and grabs a hold of him and tells him how much he loves him and how much he loves that he's, he's maybe going to be an astronomer or whatever. But the reality is there's a heaven and a hell. One is is streets paved with gold, abounding with love, abounding with peace. There's no tears, there's no sickness, nothing like that. And the other is a lake of fire. It says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in outer darkness. The whole purpose is for us to have compassion. Compassion. You don't, I'm speaking to you guys as believers. You don't have to go out and peep, beat people over the head with, with stories of hell. Is it a reality? Yeah. It's meant to move us for compassion for those who are lost. Go out into the highway and invite those to come. I loved what we were doing uh, at the fair, handing out Bibles. But even more than that, I love what happens when someone starts, you know, asking questions or you get to pray for someone or they see you reading your Bible and they begin to ask what's, what's it all about? Have your testimony ready. It was Jesus who hung on that cross to purchase an eternity of blessing and an assurance of heaven for you. Jesus ends with this really powerful statement which I'm not even going to begin to fully understand. I think theologians and scholars have taken a crack at election and how God works. I'm going to tell you something. Nobody can fully understand how God works. That's part of the mystery. But, you know, part of that mystery is we're designed to seek it out, right? We want to know more and more of of the mysteries of God's kingdom and the secrets of God's kingdom. It says in Proverbs that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter... It is the glory of kings to search it out. Do we seek out that treasure? Are we hungering after that treasure to learn something new from the Lord? But he says this one sweeping statement, many are called but few are chosen. You wouldn't be sitting in a church if you hadn't been called. Absolutely no reason, right? Why would you come and sit in a, in a building with pews um, if you hadn't been called. There's many other things that you could be doing. But he says, many are called, but few are chosen. There's an election. Paul said, I, I'm running this race. Jesus said he went to the cross for the joy set before him. It's not necessarily a competition between in, me and you, but it's a it's a competition to see and understand greater things from God. I want to see and understand greater things from God. Do you want to see God manifest himself in your life? We are all called to be disciples. We are all called to be sons and daughters of God. When you begin to realize your identity as a son or a daughter of the Most High God the all-powerful God that we serve, when you begin to realize who you are in His kingdom, you will begin to see things move. God can do much with little. Give Him more of yourself. Surrender yourself. You will not regret it. You cannot give more to God than He will give back to you. And I'm not talking about money. We're capitalists, aren't we? We think money too much I'm talking about spiritual blessing I'm talking about eyes being open ears being open hearing and seeing the things of God and his work here on earth I just want to um, Matthew 22 and Revelation 22 um, this is the last verse that, that I received um, revelation twenty two seventeen These are some of the last words in the Bible, and it says, "The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Those are the, the last few verses. The other's a caution about not adding or taking away, but the spirit, the holy spirit of God has been saying come since the moment Jesus hung on that cross and the temple veil was torn and it was open to you and to me to step into the Holy of Holies. And the bride, that's me and you. What's our message? Come. Come and see. Come and taste. The Lord is good. We, how many have not seen that the Lord is good? I want to pray for you if you haven't seen that the Lord is good. Okay, You don't have to do that up here. Uh, come talk to me later. Come talk to anyone, actually. Any, anybody who's seen that the Lord is good. Because the Lord wants to reveal himself to you. And as the bride of Christ, we need to be extending that invitation out into the highways. And that's wherever you may be. We gather here as a church, we celebrate, we worship him, we read his word, and then we're to go out and start inviting people into the kingdom. I believe that there is going to be a great harvest prior to his return. Something in in me just, I feel a fire burning that I just want to spread, you know, um, But I just want to close with a song and maybe you could just just meditate um, on this. And, and the song is uh, Casting Crowns. It's called At Your Feet. And it actually just came on as I was studying for this message and it really touched my heart. So, um, And then I think, Jojo, are you going to come play a song after that? So maybe we could just go into a time of, of just receiving from the Lord, prayer, um, and then... Afterwards, we have a birthday boy in the house, Joe. I think we're going to sing happy birthday to Joe. Joe's many years young. I'm not going to say how many, but. I'll just close with prayer. Father God, I pray that you would take the, the little that I've conveyed, Lord, that you've conveyed, and just use it for much, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would invade our lives, Lord, that it would accomplish its purpose, that it would help us, Lord, to overcome all the trials and the the difficulties that we encounter during the week. And Lord, I, I pray that you would fill us with your oil and your light, Lord, that we might burn bright out in these streets, that we might burn bright in the city of Hilo for your glory. And we just come now and we just rest before you, Lord, and we ask that you would fill us up. I pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen.